Hello and welcome to episode 174 of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast. Yes, being recorded in the beautiful home office of Chateau Relaxo. And tonight, it's my thoughts on elder care. Thanks for listening. Hello, if you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And tonight I am partaking in a Sweetwater 420 G13 IPA from Sweetwater Brewing out of Atlanta. Thank you, Publix, for the BOGO this week. This comes in at 6% APV, and it's probably one of those beers that I always have in the garage fridge. So tonight's topic, my thought on elder care, is a launch off from episode 172, Remembering My Father. And I make jokes all the time about how Florida is God's waiting room. In reality, the whole country is God's waiting room as modern medicine is keeping us alive longer than ever before. And my dad's health struggle probably began 15 or 16 years ago. It started with prostate cancer, its remediation, then came insulin control, diabetes, and then finally Parkinson's. Well, his decline really began in September 2020 with uncontrolled bleeding, and this led to a two-week hospital stay. And I rolled into the Brazelton, Georgia hospital parking lot where the nurse met me with him in a wheelchair, helped me load him into the car. No conversations with doctors, no conversations with staff, just my dad and a manila envelope full of papers and lots of unanswered questions. So thank you, COVID. My dad had now been diagnosed with bladder cancer And over the next 20 months, my dad had several lengthy hospital stays and then throw into the mix that my mom, who is on oxygen 24-7, had suffered a very life-changing fall in 2019. And also in 2019, the CEO lost her father after a several-year health struggle as well. So between the two of us, the past five years, we've learned a lot about elder care. And with my dad, there were a handful of things that I had no idea about and had never really thought to ask about. So first, I'm not a lawyer, so spend some time and some dollars with one just to get answers to some common questions. You know, first one is what documents do you and your family need? Is there a power of attorney? If there is, where is it? Do they need a medical or do you need a medical authorization release so you can find out things about their health? If so, where is it? Are you a signer on the bank account? Because guess what? You're going to need to be at some point. Do they have a DNR? And I have often joked about having DNR tattooed across my chest until I learned this. I had always thought that DNR really meant no heart lung machine type stuff, no being in a coma or having to be fed through a tube, etc. No, no, no. On the surface, it means something as simple as no CPR. So make sure that you're clear on their wishes and what those wishes actually mean. And do they have wills? Where are they? Are they signed in original blue ink? Do they have copies of it? Because you're probably going to need those as well. And these are questions and conversations that no one really thinks about during those holiday get-togethers. Or as my therapist told me, these are the conversations that no one wants to have at 2 a.m. in the hallway of a hospital or across the country via FaceTime. However, I wish my therapist had told me this about three or four years ago. 
So in early 2021, my dad was in an extended hospital stay. So we decided to relieve him of the responsibility of having to pay bills. And at the time, this sounded like a great idea until I realized that he had all of the passwords to all of the websites in his head. And then my mom had at most possibly two passwords, one of which thankfully was their email. So I spent the better part of two solid days visiting various websites that was in his browser history, selecting forgot password, and then hoping that his email account would get an email with a reset password link. Once I had a pretty good grip on the websites and the passwords, I did two things. I created a Google folder that was shared with the family. And then I created a Google sheet with all of the login information, all the links to the websites. 16 months later, I am on version 20 of that original Google sheet. And then the next thing we needed to do was figure out his medicine. And yes, he knew what he took and when he was supposed to take it, but no one else did. And this made it extremely rough on his first hospital visit when my mom handed the hospital staff his pillbox with no real accompanying instructions. Once we got what pills got taken when straightened out or what we thought got taken when, we took pictures of each pill, created a Google Doc with pictures of the pills and a description including the milligrams, created a page for breakfast pills, a page for afternoon pills, a page for dinner pills, and a page for bedtime pills. And this man could almost get full each day from the amount of pills that he was taking. But we took all those sheets, printed them out. The CEO laminated them. And then anytime he went to the doctor or the hospital, those pages went along with him as well as his pills. The medical staff was very appreciative of this. And one thing that I did learn in the prescription pill game is that pills are marked, believe it or not, with codes, which means if someone keeps their pills in a pill organizer like my dad did and not in the original pill bottle, you can look at the pill and look at those markings and then head over to a website such as drugs.com where you can look up those markings and it will tell you what the medicine is. Another thing that I did learn is that if a pill has a score or an indent across it, it means that the medicine is distributed evenly in the pill and that it was safe to cut in half and distribute it twice or whenever they needed it if they didn't need a full strength pill. And of course, if you're looking to verify everything with the doctors, you might need the aforementioned power of attorney or some form of a completed medical authorization form. Thankfully, at this point, his doctors were well acquainted with all the family members, which made it fairly easy for us to get information. But one thing, we did have a virtual meeting with my dad's neurologist. She oversaw his Parkinson's treatment and his medicine regime. And she had asked me on the appointment how his tremors were. And I replied that there really hadn't been any noticeable decrease. And she was surprised by this as the medicine should be suppressing the tremors. Well, it turned out after talking to him and talking to her that he was taking his Parkinson's medicine with food and not 30 minutes before the meal as it was originally instructed. So like I said, the takeaway is to make sure you not only know when the medicine should be administered, but under what conditions. This is very similar to the, to the do not operate heavy machinery warning on the side of your anxiety pill bottle. Another thing that I learned is that if a parent or a loved one uses some sort of a medical device or a medical monitor, 
make sure you know how to use it. One night, probably middle of the night, my dad broke out into a cold sweat. His eyes were rolled back into his head, looking like some kind of a diabetic episode. And it was at that moment that I realized I had no idea how to use his diabetes blood sugar testing kit. I'd seen him use it, but I had no idea. And after a few stressful minutes on YouTube, I figured it out. And yes, his sugar had crashed. The next day I took pictures of the whole blood testing procedure, created yet another Google document, printed it out, CEO laminated that one, and it was kept with his blood testing kit in case somebody besides us or family were there and needed to use it. And here's another reason why to verify medicine administration. My dad was injecting himself twice each day with insulin, yet he was only testing his blood sugar once in the morning because he thought that would set the tone for the day. So oftentimes he was causing his own sugar crash. A quick phone call to the doctor outlined his insulin regime, which was again printed out and also laminated and also put with his insulin and syringe. And if you've ever had someone that's older and medically fragile, as they say, someone will eventually mention hospice, possibly a friend, possibly another family member. In our case, it was a doctor. And that's what happened in August, 2021. My dad's doctor suggested that we get in touch with hospice. Now at the time, my only experience with hospice had been with the CEO's father. He was admitted into hospice and three days later he passed away. As you could well imagine, I was a bit hesitant since my mother and my father had both walked into the doctor's office that day under their own power. But I found out that there's much more to hospice, more than those final days or something that I shall call long-term hospice. And this is where you turn your medical support and guidance over to hospice. With my mom being on oxygen 24 seven with congestive heart failure, she was in no condition to care for my dad's day-to-day -day needs as things progressed. So last August of 2021, we admitted my dad into hospice and for the next 11 months, there was daily visits from a hospice attendant who bathed him, who changed his clothes, even changed out the bed linens. There were weekly visits by the hospice CNA that took care of his medicine refills, monitoring his vitals, his progress, and then throwing a social worker that took care of making sure that my dad had things like a hospital bed when he needed it, shower chairs and a wheelchair. And some days the visits were less than 30 minutes due to what I call my dad having a good day. And other days the visits lasted longer, but it gave myself and the CEO a peace of mind knowing that there would be someone eyeballing each of them every single day. Now with hospice, you do have to cease life extending or life prolonging procedures or medicine. And with cancer, that usually means stopping any sort of chemotherapy. Now with my dad, he was taking what amounted to oral chemotherapy. And yes, it was experimental. Just like I'm not a lawyer, I'm also not a doctor, but I know with medicine, there is something called a half-life, which equates to how long it takes for medicine to get out of your system. And in my dad's case, my dad's oral chemotherapy half-life was right around 20 days. By mid-September, my dad's health improved immensely. He no longer needed a walker. He was getting out of bed on his own and occasionally even fixing his own breakfast. In my non-medical opinion, it appeared that this experimental oral chemotherapy was, lack of a better term, killing him. 
Months later, a hospice nurse told me off the record that when they first saw him, she felt that he wouldn't make it till October. So yes, the pills were killing him. However, with the hospice provided support, we got to spend an extra 10 months with him. And here's another tip. When you call the oncologist receptionist to tell them that your father will no longer be a patient and no one bothers to call you back in order to question the decision, that should probably be a sign as well. The hospice nurse also told us that there would be peaks and valleys, or as they like to call it, rallies, which we saw right up to the passing. At one point, the pastor, whose wife is also a hospice nurse, told my mom that it would probably be best if the CEO and I came for a visit, with came for a visit being code for that this might very well be the last time you see your father. We arrived the next morning with my dad wide awake and hungry, and this was six weeks before he passed. So the takeaway is don't be afraid of hospice. They provide an amazing, amazing service. Some other things that I learned is money. What comes in? Is it just social security or do they routinely draft from an investment account? If yes, how often, how much, when do they do it? How do they do it? And it's just as important as what comes in, what goes out. You know, are there monthly subscription? Is there direct TV? Is there Hulu? Is there Netflix? Do they have a second mortgage? Is there an HOA? Having access to their bank account and credit cards can really help out with this kind of stuff. And, you know, also what's being drafted, you know, if you have access to the bank account, you can kind of see that. One thing that I did was I set everything up to be drafted out of my dad's bank account that we could possibly set up. At the, uh, at the end, the only two payments that I had to worry about was their every other month HOA payment and the monthly credit card bill. The other thing that we came across was lots of paper. My dad liked to save things as well as my mom. You know, when was the last time they filed a tax return? I found, found TurboTax CDs dating back 20 years that my dad had saved for some reason. If it's possible, get rid of as much paper as you can while they are still alert and still alive. I came across credit card statements from 1986, mortgage payments or mortgage papers from early 1970s. In episode 172, I talked about us living in California. We lived in Palos Verdes and I found some old mortgage papers and uh, the curiosity of it got to me, put the address in Zillow and found that the house that we had lived in recently sold for $2.4 million. You know, but with also paper, there are some surprises. I found my dad's resume, various news articles about him, birthday cards from family members that he had saved over the years. I found my very first resume from 1990 that he had put away. My dad fancied himself a poet, even taking some poetry classes decades ago. And there were poems that he had written to all of his grandchildren over the years. So while I live in a world or my main focus in my job is trying to reduce paper, going through those things was sort of like opening a time capsule. Bittersweet, but also at times very, very enjoyable. Some things that I didn't know that my parents really, really, really liked and really used, maybe your parents are the same, tissue. There were tissue boxes on almost every table and counter. Growing up, I don't remember us ever having tissues. They had them everywhere. So if you have to do their laundry, check pockets. If not, be prepared for piles of tissue lint. Batteries, uh, not sure if my dad was on some sort of an Amazon battery subscription. 
but he had batteries for days, so much so that he had two or three containers for storing them in. Older people love comfortable clothes. My dad was, we called him 24 sevens. He loved wearing sweatpants. The weather, especially the temperature. My parents' house is air conditioned and the roof doesn't, does not leak. However, my dad made me install a rain gauge on the deck and replace his old outside digital thermometer over the last six or seven months. Knowing the time, my dad always wore a watch. Maybe that's where I kind of get my watch fetish from. Even when he was bedridden, he was always fixated on the time of day. And the other thing I ran into was when it came to time, if I told them I'd be heading home at 1 p.m. and it's about an eight hour drive back here to Chateau Relaxo, my dad would always ask me to do something or go to the store right around 12.45 p.m. Things to look out for as you get older, the sense of smell begins to diminish. So check the fridge for rotten food. Oftentimes they can't smell it, rotten milk, check expiration dates. I started going through medicine cabinets and found medicines that had expired in 1998. Driving, as we age, in case you didn't know it, our reaction time decreases as well as our memory, hearing, and vision. Thankfully, taking away the keys was fairly easy with my dad, and I think it was due to the struggles that he had with his own father. My grandpa, up into his 90s, continued to tool around Rock Hill, South Carolina in a 1976 Buick, creating havoc and minor fender benders along the way. And this loss of freedom does lead to frustration, and it did lead to frustration for both of them. But thankfully, the neighbors became their poor man's version of Uber. Some more things that I did learn about my parents that I didn't know until the last few years is they really had an amazing sense of pride, more so than I ever knew. My parents always relied on their church family for support, but over the course of the last few years, they were reluctant to ask church members for help outside of the actual pastor. They often didn't remember what day of the week it is or whether or not they took their medicine, but they easily recalled some out-of-the-place restaurant that we had eaten at 20 or 30 years ago. You know, I'm a realist, and I know where things are headed in the case of this. There really wasn't any other great outcome. Uh, but for lack of a better term, I really wanted to try to minimalize their home in preparation for a move as caring for themselves became harder and harder. At first, they were absolutely defensive. They didn't want to donate that corningware dish that they hadn't used in 25 years. And after a very frustrating weekend of this resistance, I began asking them, will you allow me to do this for you? And this worked. And suddenly there was a buy-in or after multiple, multiple trips of goodwill, I think somewhat of the mission was accomplished and minimalizing what they had. Now, if you've listened to any episodes, I do consider myself a fan of life hacks, but these next few things are what I will call care hacks that I came across in the last four or five years. One of the things that was a big lifesaver was puppy pads. I think we ended up calling them Chuck pads. We ordered them on Amazon, but as we age, we begin to make more and more messes. Who knew, right? Well, these pads help to absorb liquids, et cetera, throw them down on their favorite chair cushion or sofa and it will help to keep it looking good as well as smelling fresh. And also when it comes to smelling fresh, also Febreze and those 99 cent air fresheners absolutely do wonders. Another thing that we learned about was what I call blanket on a bed. If you have someone that is for the most part bedridden, 
they become very difficult to move. Even if you're strong like bull, you could still find yourself having to move 160 pounds of dead weight around a bed. So next time before they lay down, throw a blanket across the bed and leave a little bit hanging off each side of the mattress. And then when they go to lay down, there should be that fabric hanging out. If you need to move them, get somebody on each side of the blanket, makes it very easy to grab and move the blanket instead of them because avoid grabbing those arms and legs because dislocating hips and shoulders isn't fun for anybody. And it's really, really easy to do. We also bought from Amazon a handrail that went between the mattress and the box spring. While my dad still had some strength left, this made it very easy to assist him in getting up and out of the bed in the mornings. When it comes to showering, a shower is a great place for a fall. We installed the grab bars that you see every place, which did make it easier to get in and out of the shower. But you can also remove the shower doors, making it even easier. Another thing was the shower head was on one of those cables or, or cords that uh, made it very tough for my mom to grab it. She's not very tall. So I think we spent another five bucks on Amazon and got a shower head holder that allowed the shower head to be right around shoulder height for her, making it very easy. We talked about expired medicines and while it's tempting to flush expired medicine down the toilet, just ask the Florida meth gators, don't do it. Place the medicines in a Ziploc bag, then fill the bag with some dish soap, throw it away in the trash cans, all's good. Nutrition. In my dad's case, after a six week hospital stay, he had lost a considerable amount of weight, probably close to 50 pounds, and muscle atrophy was setting in severely. We concentrated on protein. Lots of chicken, lots of protein shakes. We let him, for the most part, eat whatever he wanted because after talking to his doctor, we had his blood sugar under control once we understood what his insulin regime needed to be. But that was one of the things, trying to get his strength and his weight built back up was lots and lots of protein. And the other thing my dad suddenly developed, as well as my mom, was a desire for sweets. And I think this is commonplace as you get older. You know, growing up, we always had the bag of cookies in the house or maybe a quart of ice cream. But at his passing, there were several bags of cookies, I think four or five containers of ice cream, and then throw in some candy bars and ice cream sandwiches. Finishing up with this last care tip, if you have somebody that's bedridden, changing out a shirt is a big deal. When you have somebody that's bedridden with tubes in each of their kidneys, it's a major deal. So here's a really good tip. Take an old t-shirt, flip it over on the back and cut a slit all the way up to the neckband. And now all you have to do is put the neckband over his head or their head, put the arms through the sleeves, makes it super easy, not having to tug and fight with a t-shirt trying to get the shoulders through. Well, there you have it. For what it's worth, my thoughts on elder care. If you want detailed show notes, links, and pictures, head over to podpage.com slash travel hyphen stories. Leave a message on Anchor. Shoot me an email, travelfrick at gmail.com. As I always say, travel safe, stay safe, and thanks for listening.